Welcome to Unfuck Your Head. I am your host, Kat Jordan. It's time to take action, get out of bed, smell the new day, and unfuck your head. So, guys, I am here with Dave Bielek. He is the community outreach executive chef, clinical support, etc., for a residential treatment center that I have the privilege to talk to on this beautiful fall morning. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you reached out to me through Facebook, and I'm curious what sparked that interest for you to want to be on the podcast. Um, I think it's a great way of spreading um, recovery, the, the message of recovery. We are no longer uh, in physical meetings anymore. Uh, we're no longer... You know, physically shaking hands and uh, seeing people in, out in public. So, um, to let people know, you know, about recovery, that it's available and, uh, and, and that it's accessible to everybody, maybe even more so now than it was. Um, right. So, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to get the whole community involved in, in recovery. That's, that's, my, that's my goal. It's an excellent goal to have. In my experience, both as a, a professional and personally, you know, telling your story through recovery is a pretty um, pivotal moment, right? When you're able to either stand among a group of people or just one other individual and start to share your story can be um, incredibly daunting and scary and overwhelming, but also really empowering. All of those things, yes. Yeah. So, you know, coming to the table here with your story, where do you find yourself in that that process? Uh, well, vulnerability for sure, um, <clears throat> which is great. I think it's 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 not a bad feeling, in right. my opinion, to to have that uh, and to experience that and to acknowledge that I'm vulnerable. I mean, uh, I, I, it's part of my process of healing. There's there's no shame in uh, in my uh, story at all i mean it's uh, it happens my story has happened to millions of other people and uh, there's nothing shameful about it it's just it's uh, it's a story talking about it and talking about it publicly for uh, within groups of people is it at least for me liberating and i i haven't met anybody that has regretted um diving deep into that, uh, into their own story. And when they come out of it, you know, and it's petrifying the first time right? Uh, it, to do it. But, uh, you know, the end of it, I, I've always seen people, uh, they almost look physically lighter, you know, you know uh, come away with it, never regretting it. So I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm all for it. It's as deep as, as I can uh, remember on any given day. Uh, 
that's as deep as we go. So. That's really that's really powerful, and I really appreciate you you saying it so candidly that there is no shame in these stories. That um, while we feel that right, like that emotion right. is present, that there truly is no shame in our stories, and and to be able to get over that hurdle um, and to yeah. be that vulnerable is actually more liberating than we could ever have imagined. Right. Yeah. For me, my, my personal experience is that it was exactly that. that it was something that I needed to do and continue to need to do. Yeah. It's an ongoing, uh, an ongoing liberty, for lack of better words. Yeah. yeah, so telling your story wasn't just like one pivotal moment, but it's something that you feel compelled to, to continue to share. Sure. I mean, and what, what I thought was a very important piece of the puzzle to share with people in uh, in the the first year of my recovery versus the second and third and so on and so forth has changed dramatically so i i may have focused uh on you know work or whatever in my first year as like the pivotal uh, piece of, of my puzzle to share or uh you know my teen years, whatever it is, but it, it changes. For me, it changes over time. What what has become important and what is the focus of, of what I, I want to express to people changes. And I imagine that it will uh, forever. I, I hope it does. Yeah. I hope I don't get stuck on, on one little tiny loop. Um, so it's an expanding thing at all times. Sure. So the need to uh, for me, the importance of doing it often not just once um, you know is, is becoming more clear because I can sort of map what I thought was important a year ago versus what I think is important now and it's often dramatically different so it's it's a growth thing a measure of growth I love that you're able to highlight that too from my experience that sometimes people get stuck in their specific narrative and they repeat right um, like this is this is what has happened to me as like matter of fact, but really when you start to dive a little bit deeper, um, you do have more of an exploration of meaning behind each experience that you had from a different perspective as you grow and as you develop those those you know change and that to me doesn't show anything other than than continued growth right that that is a, a human part of our experience that as we reflect on these stories they become deeper and they develop more it's not just a, a stagnant like this is what happened i i like to as i kind of prefaced before we started as you're sharing your story with it with a timeline starting kind of from your youngest experiences your youngest memories um as they're related to your your story as a whole. My addictive, my addiction tendency, my, my leanings towards addiction, if I, to be honest, I can map back to a very early age, very early. I think the first uh, experience I had with a mind-altering substance was at age five. And I, and I took a couple of puffs off of a cigarette and inhaled it, and as everybody knows, nicotine is one extremely powerful drug. Right. And it knocked me completely out. I uh, was immobilized 
and I I don't know for how long it seemed like forever um, and I was vomiting and I was uh, you know completely I was poisoned yeah. by this thing right and you know I did I did it to myself it wasn't to anybody forcing this on to me but I wasn't afraid of it and what I actually did even at that very young age is said to myself the next time I'm going to do it differently mm -hmm. so that I don't puke and pass out and have all of that negative stuff um, my first uh, encounter with alcohol was um, the morning after my parents had a party my parents didn't drink at all I mean that's a, a further you know or, you know it's, it's an important part of, of the, the puzzle. They never ever drank, they, but they had friends and they had house parties and they had all of these things where there was alcohol around, but uh, I never never witnessed either one of my parents drunk ever or even to, you know, uh, yes, they had a drink occasionally, but right. there was no, uh, none of that in their lives. But I found when I was seven, uh, the morning after one of these parties, I got up and there was a glass of, uh, of whiskey on one of the coffee tables. And I hated the taste of it, but I drank all of it. Okay. And it was, you know, uh, enough, more than enough. And again, down I went and I was vomiting and I was sick and I, you know, it was a catastrophe. And my mother was horrified to find me in this condition and everything. And, uh, but again, it did not frighten me. And, and it was one of these things again, well, you know, next time I will you know, maybe not do so much or, I, you know, and, uh, so I was managing mind altering substances at age five and at age seven. Wow. Is what yeah. it really boils down to. And I continued to do that for years i mean i started to drink uh, and do drugs on a regular basis at around age 12. i was already in and I, it was purely for effect it was never a moment where it was like a social thing this is social drinking when you're 12 years old it, it's 100 for the effect so uh, that was sort of the, the start of it was very young where it, it was i was drawn to it and uh, there was negative effects already, like uh, toxic effects already. And yeah. I started to believe that I could manage those toxic effects at a very, very young age. Right. It's, it's incredible when I think back. Yeah, that that's a, a child so young could understand that, like, intuitively like if i just manipulate this a little bit then i won't get as sick and then i'll i'll, I'll be able to have the fun or have the reaction that i want without the consequences yeah, um, you know, it it's baffles me to this day how uh, how i thought that way but i did yeah so i'm imagining your mom right seeing her yeah. you, you're seven at the time um yeah. intoxicated did that result in a hospitalization? Did you drink enough at that young age that you had to go um, and receive treatment or were you cared for at home? You know, there was a mix of 
And I think it's just from lack, lack of knowledge and not, uh, there was no, I don't, I wouldn't call it neglect or anything like that. But right. I think there was, it was met with sort of uh, a bit of humor and a bit of horror all at the same time, right? You know, whereas like, holy smokes, you know, like we left the, you know, we didn't clean up this, after this party, we just went to bed and then, you know, our, our child uh, ended up drinking uh, some of this stuff and, you know, look at the, the condition that it, it brought him to. I don't think that uh, during that era that anybody even considered in hospitalization or any of, or that kind of stuff would have been necessary. It would have been just like, you know, the old school remedies, you know, like drink some milk and you know, some water, yeah. whatever misinformation we had, or not even misinformation, zero information that we had at, at the time uh, yeah. regarding alcohol and consumption and its dangers. And so uh, there was no hospitalization yeah. there. And, and I, I appreciate you kind of um, painting more of the, like the, the context of the situation too, of like the era that it was and, and how people perceived um, alcohol and alcohol consumption. Um, and, it, and that there is still even to this day um, in, in some social situations and cultures where, you know, a child trying beer for the first time or getting drunk for the first yeah. time is met with some, some humor. Right whilst a lot of us are, are horrified at the idea, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So your parents, um, in that context, it sounds like, you know, with a little bit of humor and horror, wouldn't have said anything um, detrimental to you in those circumstances. I'm sure there was probably like, you know, you shouldn't do that, but there was, there I'm assuming wasn't any further kind of conversation. No, I, I, you know, I think that, um, they believed that I had learned my lesson, right? Gotcha. And at that point, as many, uh, you know, if you burn your hand on the stove, nobody wants you to burn your hand on the stove as growing up, but, you know, and uh, you, you've done it once and, uh, you know, it's assumed that you will you know, be more careful or not ever do that again kind of thing, right? And I, I think I sort of fell into that category. I, I believe that they... Uh, they weren't mad at me. They didn't blame me for for doing anything. As I was seven years old, how could you know? How could I have been responsible for that, right? But you know, meanwhile, I, I was. I mean, I I don't. I took a sip of it, and I'm going, "This is horrific." And yet, I carried on, and, and I finished. I drank all of it, right? So, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, you know, uh, for sure. I, I had no idea of how deathly ill it was going to make me. And, and, you know, what I was looking at is I see people that are having fun and laughing and having a great time when they're doing this, right? Right. But the immediate, you know, people talk about that immediate effect that, you know, I got for years and years afterwards is that first shot. It, how good it feels and how warm that feels and people describe this uh, the sensation which I've experienced uh, throughout my life right um, I had that from first sip of that very nasty tasting mouth burning I don't know what the heck this is 
but I like it. You know, I, I had that sensation at age seven and uh, that's what prompted me to finish that class on that day. They just assumed that it was like a really dumb thing that a, that a, that a kid does. Yeah, and bringing it back to the comparison of like um, burning your hand on the stove. Right, like that, it would make sense that there was a negative consequence to this behavior, and so your your natural instincts would to be to avoid it, to not repeat. Um, and yeah. yet, we know that with substances, it's a whole nother kind of experience, and that despite numerous consequences of those behaviors, repetitively, we still yeah. engage. So, from the time of seven up until when you said that you were starting to use more regularly around the age of twelve. Was there more exploration of like different kinds of drugs or was it just alcohol and then from, you know? What was available uh, was booze, you know, it was there. Yeah. Um, there were people in our community that, you know, really damaged themselves during that era with, uh, with uh, sniffing solvents. Uh, sniffing gasoline, glue, and all of these things, because that was, you know, and that was a, like epidemic up where I where I grew up at, at some point, and that we were really cautioned about, and it was drilled into us like what will happen, you know, you will have brain damage, you will have this, you know, it we it scared the hell out of us, right? That and yeah. we saw those. Uh, what happened to people uh, under the influence of that, and then the you know like people that never recovered from from that. You know, when there's kids in, in my school that uh, you know they left for the weekend in one one uh, state of mind, and then they return in a different state of mind and never return wow. to their original state of mind. They they had done something dramatically damaging to themselves so that scared many of us away from that but whenever we could uh, you know, sneak or steal booze or anything like that you know, it was on like i mean we experience this and have you know throughout our entire lives both you and i um the message that alcohol is not as bad and that alcohol is not as dangerous and right. um is okay in, in moderation. And, and so having that message kind of drilled over and over and over again makes um, it much easier for us to, to justify and, and excuse, you know, oh, it's not that bad. I'm not, I'm not causing that kind of level of damage. Yeah. Right. What was it like for, for you through your adolescence? Like I had a pretty idyllic childhood where I where I was and you know with the parents that I had and then you know there, there's the, the trauma component um, is that my father actually passed away suddenly I think I was when I was 11 years old so I was already exhibiting these tendencies uh, you know there is alcoholism in my family tree uh, you know, uh, many branches of it um, <laughs> so I was already predetermined I think in a lot of ways but then you know there was this very traumatic event that sort of shattered our whole idyllic little family circle right so my father passed away when I was 11 and my mother never really recovered from that she she struggled uh, for the rest of her life you know for many many years with that uh, 
with that whole incident. You know, she could not get past it, even though she tried, you know, and there was therapy and she remarried and she did a, a whole bunch of things that you would say equaled uh, her, you know, uh, dealing with it in, in, in a way. But, you know, the reality is she never really did. And she openly admitted that, you know, uh, at different times in her life. So from that moment on, I kind of lost both of my parents, right? And mm-hmm. I had uh, I had older siblings, but they're they were dealing and managing their own uh, lives as best as they could. So I was I felt very much on my own at that point. And if I look back into it honestly, I was. I there was no um, there was nobody to to say, hey man, slow down. You know, there was nobody to to call me out on on what I was doing. You know, there was really uh, the structure disappeared instantly. Right. And being a kid, you have no idea how to manage that. I mean, I I, I have a hard time managing my freedom today. You know, I'm free to do a lot of whatever I want, but it's still, it's a task and it's a responsibility to have, you know, to have full control of your life, right? Which I guess at age 11, I was, I had the opportunity to have full control over my life. I just had no way, uh, no, no idea how to do it. So it, it ran pretty wild from that moment on. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really formative set of years there and and at such a pivotal age um where you know you're coming into your own as um a young man and and to lose your father i imagine um must have been absolutely horrific and i'm so sorry for that um and and to reflect back and recognize that that it wasn't just the sudden tragic loss of your father but then the the breakdown of the structure of the family as a result of that 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 just naturally happens when you lose someone so so important um and to not have the skills to navigate um that level of independence right like children just don't have it that's why we have parents um must have been incredibly difficult so following the passing of your father it do you feel like that that really sparked an increase in use do you do you have some memories from that that time in your life um it, it sparked the opportunity which i took gotcha absolutely yeah um there was no eyes on me at that point from that point on um and there was a lot of uh unstructured time and there was so the, the, the opportunity was there uh, a lot you know and, and we moved uh, shortly after that out of out of the north down into you know a, a much more uh, larger centers right so i made friends and i gravitated towards people that were like me like right. we do um and so that increased all of the opportunity uh, for me to to really tune out with with booze and with with drugs, right? And in amongst a whole bunch of other people that had the same uh, desire to do it, you know, uh, as I did. So it, and having nobody saying, "Hey, 
where were you, you know, or hey, get home, or, you know, hey, get to school, right? There was no, uh, nobody there to, there was no rudder, yeah. no steering mechanism in my life like that. Right. right? Yeah. But it created a tremendous opportunity to do whatever I wanted, right? Uh, and that's, that's what I did. I did. But I thought that I was running this, this great adult life already, right? The, you know, the reality is, is that I was petrified and had no idea what I was doing on any given day. And I could medicate that in a way quite, quite easily, right? At, at that point, it was very easy to do. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of opportunity for me to do that. I mean, I tell my story, you know, often enough, and I always go back to it and I say, if none of that happened, right? My parents were still alive today, and they were happy and had lived these great lives, and my brothers and sister never experienced any any of what I've experienced, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, I, I would still have to deal with the fact that I'm an alcoholic. None of that would right. change, right? Because right? I I was already on route, right? before any of this stuff happened and i know that so i would i'm convinced that it would have manifested anyway and maybe differently maybe in a different location maybe with more expensive booze maybe with hiding it more uh, maybe with bigger fights with my parents over it you know uh, but i'm convinced that my reality of being an alcoholic that's in recovery would not have changed at all that's a pretty powerful awareness. Um, you know, I, I imagine so many of us who um, are, are navigating our recoveries can can pinpoint to a tragic moment and kind of place blame on that and say, had that not happened, I would not have it. I would not be experiencing this now. And I think right. as we as we delve a little bit deeper into our human condition, um, that that's not necessarily true. And to alleviate right. some of that resentment towards a specific event, I think can be also tremendously healing. Was that an aha moment for you? Or was that something that was really kind of slow and, and gradual in your experience? Yeah, I <laughs> haven't had too many aha moments in my recovery. <laughs> it's sort of slow and I'm going, uh-huh, oh, oh okay, that makes right. sense now, right? Yes. <laughs> Never been to these Eureka moments. Uh, <laughs> I've had lots of great insights that have come to me, uh, you know, uh, slowly and gently and assuredly. And, and when once they're locked into place, then uh, you know they're there, they're there permanently. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is because I went to rehab. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I suffered uh, for years and years and years until I could no longer suffer anymore, and I. I threw in the towel and uh, I got help. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I did because that gave me the skills to continue to have these aha moments uh, to this day. You know, I am still connecting the dots of my life and my, my recovery and my, uh, my problems you know, today. And so there was these little me 
moments that continue to happen and that was one of them where i'm going like man you know like yeah that was that that was terrible what happened yeah and it was beyond my control what happened when i was right. that age right and um yeah i had you know no no steering mechanism i had no accountability i and i had great opportunity to really run wild and i and you know and i did and i'm going yeah that's that accelerated that period of time mm-hmm. is what it uh you know if i had finished or gone to college at the the right time you know and not later on and if i had done all those things i'm sure it would have come out i would because I, i was that person that i i looked for that i looked for it at a young age so i'm sure that the minute that i was allowed to i would have been doing it i mean it's clearly clearly because i i did i even right. at a very young age i chose that over things that normal 12 year olds would be doing right? right i chose it and i had the opportunity to to not choose it but i i chose that so i'm i'm convinced that all that that events did was create opportunity for me to really accelerate my addiction right so, sitting with that for a moment kind of reflecting on other stories that I've heard and it I think that can be really eye-opening to recognize that when we're genetically predisposed to it and we are right there's no denying that that the projection and the the way that our story falls is is outside of our control and would inevitably lead to a certain place we just don't know when right that there's so many factors to life that really contribute to like the winds so you said that you suffered for many many years before going to rehab can you share a little bit about what that looked like yeah i mean i um i drank alcoholically like i said from day one. there was never a moment in my life where i could drink normally i didn't I didn't want to uh drink normally I want and every time I was put into a situation where it was expected of me to drink normally it was agony if you know if I if I was to go to a dinner party and have a glass of wine I would immediately start craving the second and the third and the fourth and I couldn't I would never focus on conversation that I was having I'd never focus on the person that I was with I wouldn't focus on my partner I wouldn't focus on anything other than how am I going to get more of this into me now not realizing what that actually was you know that that's that's addiction that is that's addiction uh, running rampant and it was very uncomfortable and I would you know lie and I would sneak uh, booze into work into school into any situation yeah. that, that I was in uh, you know in order to to mitigate having that craving after my first drink uh, I lost relationships over it I have embarrassed myself on many occasions um you know with uh, with my behavior um I have lost good friendships over it. I have uh I have lost tremendous amounts of money because of it. I have 
not advanced in certain career things. You know, back in the day, I, I, that I was convinced that I was the best person for this position. And if I hadn't have been an alcoholic, I probably would have been, right? And right. I, I, without a doubt, you know, I, I can say that what held me back in that uh, moment was my alcoholism, that everybody around me knew that I was not not reliable enough right. to, to take that next level of responsibility on it, right? Um, I, you're, you're, you know, I will keep you at this very expendable level, right? And if only you weren't that, well, you know, we would keep you at this not so expendable level, right? And I know that it's 100% due to alcoholism. So I suffered those things. Mostly, I, you know, I suffered internally and mentally with the losses that I incurred, you know, and I incurred, as most of us do, right? and trying to reconcile those losses was, was hard. I'm aware that, and even back then, I was aware that, okay, I went on a three-day bender, this person wants me out of the house, my stuff is sitting on the front steps. Uh, with a policeman there saying, you're not coming back in this house. And I would drive away or walk away sometimes with, with you know, my little tiny existence in a, in a bag. And I knew that it was because of booze and drugs and how I behaved right. when I was on that. And I, I, you know, and to try to reconcile that or to try to justify it or to try to blame the other person, mm-hmm. you know, that was agony because, you know, I, I'm fooling only myself and I know that deep down, but yet I cannot bring myself to admit what the actual problem is. So I will wrestle internally to demonize that other person and to demonize the events and to say that it's bad luck or just say that this is a terrible person and all of these other things rather than just saying man you know what this is what you've created today you know this yeah. is your work yeah that was most of my life was, was spent like that i mean there was like no i had very good periods and i had you know wonderful experiences and i've been able to travel and i've had very interesting work and i've done you know a lot of very interesting things but there was always that looming catastrophe that i would create and i without fail created it and then it was that tremendous sense of guilt and anger and all of these things that for for what i had done but i would never never blame myself in those moments i would always try to pawn it off on extenuating circumstances and it, it was after a while i couldn't do it after a while obviously but right. I, man i i worked that horse to death literally yeah i mean i i, I want to say that that's probably the thing that holds us back all of us from acknowledging our own role in anything that there's this level of shame right that we can't tolerate, you know, to, to acknowledge that we have created not only pain to people that we love and care about, but to ourselves repeatedly right. is daunting. You know, 
it brings us to a place of complete and utter powerlessness to say that I have no control over what is happening, not only in my life, um, but to myself. That That is a, an extraordinarily difficult place to get to. You know, I won't speak for everybody, but I want to say that that feels as though um, is the reason why a lot of people can't go to, to treatment just yet, that they haven't gotten to that place where they can they can sit and say, you know, part of my French, but I fucked up um, and mm. I need help because I can't do this on my own. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I lived like that, like many others, I'm sure for for years. And, you know, what I try to um, bring to people that are experiencing that is that the minute that I admitted that I am the problem, a good chunk of that problem disappears. <laughs> when I am, when I understand that it isn't the outside world that I'm fighting with, or that is doing this to me, or that that I need to bargain with, and to that I need to you know pay off, or that I need to, to whatever it is, you know, that when I realize that greatest problem in my life is me and the biggest part of it is resting right between my ears and you know if, if I can bring anybody to that understanding that I by admitting powerlessness and it, 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 it sounds so weird by admitting my powerlessness over this substance I have just gained all the power in the world that I need in order to battle because I now realize where this is coming from, I realize that it's not because I had a fight with my brother that I'm drinking, or that I have had an argument with my partner that I'm that that's that's the reason that I'm drinking, or you know the traffic or uh, weather, <laughs> right. you know all of these things that just have absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, it's liberating. When I, when I realized that, that it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter what is happening in the outside world matter, outside of my body. It's like, I don't have to drink. I don't have to do drugs just because this is happening or right. has happened or might happen. <laughs> right. That, that level of, I'm going to take responsibility for my life because I can and there is nothing that anyone can do to waver that responsibility or to shake that responsibility. If I can get somebody to understand that and want that, because it's well underway to recovery. And I've seen it, you know, lucky to see that on many occasions. You know, and I'm fortunate to, to know many people you know, that have been touched by that realization that are now doing well, where they, prior to that, they had no belief that they could do anything because, well, you know, don't you know what the world's doing to me? You know, I'm going, yeah. Um, yeah. I know what the world is doing. It's not doing it to you. It's just being itself. It's a hard, you know, it, it took me a long time to realize that. So I have a tremendous amount of patience for people that don't believe that are struggling with that concept you know because it took me forever to really have it uh, take root and to grow 
Yeah. As you're sharing this this piece, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps and I, I feel like the tears welling up behind my eyes because it is one of the most powerful moments a human can have and not just in recovery from addiction, um, but in, in all and every, I'm going to do air quotes, mental health, because in, in my mind, mental health is kind of just like the human condition trying to survive. Is, is the second we are able to understand that the barrier that we are experiencing is not our external experiences. It is not the world around us. Yes, it affects us, but that is not what's holding us back, that it really is truly ourselves. It sounds funny, but there's so much truth in like once we recognize our powerlessness, we actually get filled with the sense of power because then we recognize what we do have control over and what we and what we can have responsibility over to make the life that we want to have. It's absolutely beautiful and and I can't thank you enough for also bringing it back down to recognizing like you have to have patience for people who aren't there yet. Because that's not something that you can drill into somebody, right? That's not something that you can have them read 10 books and suddenly they're going to get it, right? Like that is a very personal process. And when that person gets to it, that's when that person gets to it. Yeah, you know, you can support. uh, And um, I can relate my experience, you know, and I can show uh, my example. And I can, you know, I'm fortunate enough to know uh, many, many people in recovery that can come in and show that same example and show that same level of support. Again, why it's important, I think, to tell these stories is people don't necessarily believe it, right? You know, right. So when, I, when I'm sitting even, you know, in our treatment center where I, I you know, with the clients, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist by any means, but I, I am in recovery and I can offer a, a layman's understanding of it. Right, you know? right. Uh, and, a, and a practical understanding of it and a, and a practical <clears throat> example of what recovery is. And so uh, when I tell people that when I arrived in rehab, I had 40 bucks to my name. That's 40 Canadian dollars. So that's like <laughs> $9. <dollars. laughs> I had that. And I had a bag of, of dirty clothes when I presented myself at a government-sponsored treatment center in northern Ontario, Canada. That's what I had done with perfectly good life. And it wasn't as though I was... Like I was working as a, as a sous chef in a, a pretty successful restaurant in Montreal at the time, and that's what I had, had you know. Yeah. That's what I'd been able to accumulate over forty some years of life is uh, is that, and to where the way I present myself now, uh, which is you know this is my authentic self, and um, the differences in my life by being in recovery. So people, they, they think, oh, really? Like, that's where you were and only that long ago? Because it's been close to eight years now. I go, 
yeah, I said, that's, that's the turnaround. That was my, my, my turnaround time. Thank God. For sure. It was rather quick. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I've seen it happen again and again and again. And I said, so it's very doable because you're looking at a person who was almost homeless. I mean, I was weeks away from being on the street. Yeah. I was weeks away from being dead from, from alcohol poisoning, you know, or I may have inadvertently stepped in, in front of a bus because I was not firing on all of my cylinders, not even close. I may have died in my sleep. You know, I may have vomited and then choked on my own, like a million ways um, that it's a miracle that I'm here, right? But, and it was by simply, simply, I mean, by turning that, that corner and deciding to embrace recovery and to do the work that's necessary and to really be honest about my addiction in the first place and then be willing and to actually listen to what somebody else can do for me and to do about it and to take those recommendations and actually do it. So it's been, uh, it's helpful to tell the story to people because it allows people to realize that uh, this is doable. A hundred percent. No joke. Right. I mean, spreading that hope, right? And and giving some, I want to say some form of guideline, right? Because we are all interconnected. We're all human. And um, while our stories vary and our experiences vary um, and our perception of all of that vary, there are certain things that once you land on can really propel you forward. listening. Join me on the next episode of Unfuck Your Head as we continue to build a community where understanding human health is at the forefront of real change. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow me on Instagram at Unfuck Your Head Podcast. You can also check out upcoming podcasts, my blog, and ways to contribute to our mission by visiting our website at unfuckyourhead.org. Fuck your head